2020. It's kind of crazy sounding. Um, first off, if you are a, a guest, uh, say thank you for being here today. We're glad that you're here. Uh, my name's Nick, and I'm one of the elders here, and I have the privilege of teaching today. Uh, if you are not part of this, this church family here, uh, we just, again, we want to say we, we're glad that you're here. We hope you feel welcomed, encouraged. If you are you know, kind of starting a new year and looking for a community of, of Jesus followers to be a part of, we invite you to be a part of that, uh, this, this group here, and uh, we invite you to get connected. We have some ways you can do that. Um, there's a worship guide you should have received when you came in the door. If you did not get one of those, do up your hand. We have some awesome ushers who will hook you up with a worship guide. Um, anybody not get one? Just the half sheet, or it's like a, the sheet folded in half. Uh, there's a few hands here. Uh, do we have any left over there back there? I think they're grabbing them for you. Uh, so anyway, that being said, they're in that guide. You can find out some ways to get connected. A few things, just communication. We don't say this every single week, but one note in there is that you'll, you'll see there's some ways to, up to get updated on information, uh, like text messages that we send out or a weekly uh, email we send out. And so we invite you to participate in that. That's one way you can know how to get involved. But one of the things we're hopeful for every person who's here at Point is that you don't just get connected through Sunday services. These are significant times for us, singing together, preaching God's word, learning together. It's really healthy. It's really good. And it's important for us um, in our maturing process as believers. But also it's, it's important that we get into community and we get into relationships with other believers. And so we invite you to be a part of a small group. Uh, a life group is what we call those, but those are groups that meet in homes around our area, and they're not just a program. They're not just once a week meetings. They're like people doing life together. We use that phrase, doing life. They're, they're actually, they know each other. They're being, uh, being known, uh, and, and they're investing into each other's lives, serving each other uh, through the good and through the bad, uh, praying together, reading the word of God together, uh, asking God, how do we apply what you're saying to us and teaching us? And so we just want to invite you to do that. Again, there's ways you can get connected. Over the next couple weeks, you're going to hear some of that because this is always a time of year where maybe you just you haven't been consistent either to church gatherings or in community. And so, hey, this is a, it's a good opportunity. It's a fresh start. It's a new, new opportunity for you to get involved and invested. Okay? Um, for me, uh, somebody asked me what day we got home earlier, right before I got up here, I think. And I was like, I don't even remember. I kind of am disoriented. Something about the holidays kind of makes me feel like I don't even know what day it is. Uh, so today's kind of in some ways kind of a fresh start back in uh, to Sunday. Okay, no, today's Sunday. Uh, got that one. And uh, now we kind of get back into our rhythms and routines for the year. And it's a good time of year for us to, um, to re-clarify, uh, to reflect on, to think about what are we here for? What are we doing here? Uh, what, is, what is my purpose in life? And, and why, am I, uh, why am I in Austin, Texas at this moment in history uh, and, and whatever stage or place of life that you're in, like, why am I here, right? It's one of the biggest, biggest questions we, we ask and we wrestle with. And some people have good, clear answers on that, and others are kind of floundering today, kind of came in a little bit uncertain. Like, I'm not completely sure I know what my purpose is or my vision is or my direction for my life right now. And there's a lot of factors that impact that, okay? There's a lot of reasons why uh, we can struggle sometimes with clarity, uh, with what we're supposed to be doing. And sometimes, uh, you know, you go through job loss or you go through just, I'm tired of my job. I'm looking for something different. Or you're going through family uh, changes, uh, either uh, adding kids or, or getting married or wanting to get married or wanting to, to have kids. And all those kind of things that we work through, and they all affect how we view our lives. But over the next four weeks, uh, at least 
the next four weeks here at Point, we're going to take some time and talk about this church family. We're going to talk about our identity as a church family. For those of you who are with us in the fall, you know we spent uh, the whole fall working through the book of Ephesians, which is one of my favorite books in the Bible by far. It's really helpful. Uh, it gives us this huge view of the gospel. It gives us a, a huge view and understanding of how the church and God's people actually live in light of the gospel that we proclaim and believe. And so uh, this next few weeks, it's actually going to try to be, a, 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 hopefully, it'll be a practical, helpful, instructive time where you understand, you know, who we are, what we're about, and how you can be a part of that, how you can participate with us. Some of you are already doing that. So hopefully it's a refresher course. Hopefully that's uh, some reflection, and hopefully it'll stir you uh, just for a fresh passion and, and engagement in the work that God's given us. Some of you have kind of been attending here, but you're not really involved and invested, like I said earlier. Some of you are brand new here, so you're just kind of like, well, who are these people and what are they doing? I know that they're a church. I know that they are singing to Jesus. I, I know that these guys are preaching, but like, what are they really about? And we hope that you would experience some of that um, that more, more than just through sermons that we preach, okay? Uh, but through the way that we live together in community and we live out our faith uh, in Jesus together. And so I think you guys know this without me even saying it, but vision is really, really important, right? Vision is important. Um, now, first and foremost, vision is important in terms of just even being able to see. Uh, I had the, the privilege and the, the blessing of getting to, to go to Colorado over the break because my parents live in Colorado. And one of the days that we were there, we actually got to go uh, snow skiing. And I don't know how you guys have been to snow skiing or, or uh, uh, it's something that I know not everybody gets to do. But because my parents live close by, we were able to run over one day and just ski one one day. And for a family of eight, it only took us like 18 hours to get prepped for that. And um, I literally thought we were never going to get out of the rental place. OK, um, and, and so we finally get all of our equipment and we get on the mountain and it's like four degrees outside. And then so we were bundled up. Of course, we had all those clothes on when we were in the rental place, so we're all now sweating profusely. And, uh, and all the kids are saying, my boots are too tight. And, you know, it's like we're, we're trying to work through all logistics to get out on the mountain so we can have fun because skiing's fun. And um, <laughs> you guys don't understand. All right. And so we finally get out on the mountain, and then, you know, we, we, we start going down the bunny slope. And uh, the kids are having a, a blast. Um, most of them wanted to stay on the bunny slope all day, and I was like, I mean, I've, I grew up skiing, and so um, I'm, like, wanting to go a little further, but I'm trying to be the good dad, right? And so I'm just down there helping them on the bunny slope. We're just doing the bunny slope over and over and over and over and over. And, um, I'm, yeah, but it's fun. It's fun. And um, <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. And, uh, but eventually we do go up on top of the mountain. We, we actually uh, get up a little ways, and I took, I took Luke. Uh, our oldest son, we got, we got up a little bit further, and when we get up there, we're on the, we're on the, this mountain, and, and we're on the lift, and I noticed that the lift is like, it's kind of, if you've ever been on one of those lifts, you're going up, and it kind of disappears in front of us, and, and it's because uh, it is snowing hard, it's super cold, and the cloud has just sort of surrounded the mountain, it's kind of come down onto the mountain, and it was kind of like, you know, uh, you could just see the, the lift kind of disappear into the, to the mountain, to the fog. And, uh, and then we get up there, and we're trying to ski down, and we can't ski. And, and we really, because we're Texans, we only ski once every, I don't know, two or three years. It's like we don't have the right equipment, so I've just had like a pair of sunglasses on, no goggles, and it's like snowing and stuff hitting me in the eyes, and then I can't ski because it's foggy. Vision's important because, like, there's trees out there, right? There's trees and there's people. And, uh, and so thankfully, by God's grace, we got off the mountain, 
but then we went back up. Oh, and so anyway, that's a whole other story because uh, we were that silly. But we went back up and did it again. And, and um, thankfully, we didn't have any major injuries. We're here. We're alive. But vision is important. And, and it's a reminder of that, right? But not only is it important just visually in that way, but it's, it's important that we understand like where we're going with our lives. Like what is the purpose? What is the, what is the goal? What's the end game? What are we shooting for? What's the direction we're headed, right? And God has things he said to us individually and collectively about how we are to live our lives, where we're supposed to be going, what we're supposed to be doing, where we're supposed to be investing our time and our energy and our money. Like God has a vision for that. He has a plan for that. And as a church family, we have a vision uh, that God has given us. We believe as elders, as leaders here, uh, even before um, we came to South Austin, God began to give us a vision for this area, for this part of the city where we saw uh, so many people who didn't have a vision for their life because they don't know God. And maybe, maybe you don't know God. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ personally. Maybe you don't feel like he's personal in your life or he's around or near you or cares about you. But we, we believe and we, we preach about a, a God in the Bible who says he's personally involved in our lives. He's personally invested. He's not distant. He's not far off. He's not uncaring, unloving. He's actually very involved in, in humanity. We know that because we just celebrated Christmas where Jesus came into our mess and came into our lives because he cared so much, right? And so as we think about vision as we start a new year, I mean, some people are like, yeah, it's just another day. It's another page turned, you know. I, I get that. Like, every day is just another day. But at the same time, you know, I, I do think there's something significant that happens in your heart when you see that date change, right? A couple times already this week, I'm like, 20. Whoa. <laughs> wow. We're, we're, we're there. Uh, and there's something that happens in your, in your psyche, but also just in your spirit. It's like, okay, this is significant. This is another, it's another opportunity. It's a new, it's a new day. And so, as I said, we want to take some time over the next few weeks to refresh our memories and to remind and even maybe give some fresh insight to the vision and the direction God's called us to as a church family. And we hope that every one of you here will participate and be a part of that. If, if this is a place that you want to get involved and invested, we, we invite you to do that. We want to we be a part of that. And I'm, I'd be happy to grab lunch or coffee or some of our elders will do that even after today and over the next few weeks. Because we want, when we finish this goal, we have sort of a few purposes in this, uh, this, this, um, this sermon series, uh, to have greater clarity of God's vision for us, to have greater alignment and unity around that vision, and then even greater impact uh, as we participate together. And so I'm going to say something that we say fairly often, but we, we don't believe that there's anybody in the kingdom of God, anybody who's a child of God, a true child of God, that just gets to say, I'm just going to sit on the, the sideline and take this one you know, out. I'm just going to basically sit and do nothing. Um, actually, to be a child of God is, is to be a participant in his work and to be involved and invested. And sure, we all have different roles. Not everybody's going to stand up on a platform and preach a sermon. Not everybody's going to lead a class or lead a small group or whatever. But we all get to participate, right? We all get to be a part of what God's doing in the different ways that he's gifted and called us to do it. And so we want to see this body activated. We want to see every person uh, not only knowing the gospel and believing it, but proclaiming it, teaching others, telling others who Jesus is and what he's done. And so we want to be, be a part of that. And I'm excited about that because I think about what could happen if every person in this room really engaged in the mission and the work God's given us. Uh, it would have a huge, profound impact on our city. And our belief and our desire, our vision that God's given us in a sense is that every man, woman, and child in this city would have the opportunity to know Jesus. I mean, just real bluntly, like we just want every person who lives around us, who we work with, play with, uh, interact with, uh, buy stuff from, uh, sell stuff to, 
uh, you know, have conversations that are superficial while they're cutting our hair. Like, we want every person to know Jesus because he's awesome. <laughs> he's good. He loves us, and he is life, okay? And so that's what we want. That's what we're shooting for. And so I want to look at a passage of Scripture and this morning. Um, this vision piece, let me just remind you one other thing as we move forward in that, in that Proverbs 29, 29:18. it's probably a passage of Scripture you've heard people teach before if you've been in church. Uh, the King James Version, which I don't teach in the King James Version, but it's, a, it's a, an accurate translation. It's one of the ones I started with way back when I was a little guy. And it, King James Version, it says this, where there's no vision, the people perish. You guys heard that before? Uh, the, the, the translation that the NASB, which is the most literal translation, says, where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained. Um, the word that's actually used on perish or unrestrained is actually the, the same Hebrew word uh, they would have used for like um, a hair tie that kind of keeps your hair up. And then it's like it, it, it basically like when the hair is like untied, it just kind of flows out and the wind just blows it. All right. And so this idea that just what like there's no direction, there's no there's no um, like connectedness to it. It's just it's unrestrained. It's just kind of going everywhere. Does that make sense? And so when you, there's no vision, you're just kind of wandering around just kind of going through life. But I want to remind you that God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a vision for your life. He has a purpose and a plan and a vision for his church, for his people collectively, right? And so we get to participate that. And I want you to consider this as an invitation to join us in that work, to be a part of his vision, to be a part of his plan, part of his purpose right here in Austin, Texas in 2020. Okay? Uh, the first text that we're going to go to in order to um, sort of unpack this vision and plan is, is, a, is a text that I think many of you are probably familiar with, but it's in Mark chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to pull it out because we don't just go and come up with stuff for visions and plans, right? We look at God's word. His word is, is, is it's his insight to us. It's his instruction to us. It's his wisdom. Uh, it's personal. It's, it's a big story about God. It's a big story about how we can join him in his big work. Okay, and how he's made a way for us to know him. But in Mark chapter 12, the hard part when you kind of jump into a passage like this is you don't have all the context. And so I'm going to assume some of you know the context, but some of you may not. Um, And just knowing that Mark chapter 12, you know, this is one of the four gospels. These four gospels are the account of Jesus's life while he was on earth. And Mark gives us this insight into uh, a conversation that Jesus had. Okay, and so Jesus has this conversation where he's standing near uh, a group of scribes, and they're having this ongoing dialogue. Um, it sounds like they're debating, because uh, that's what they typically would do. They'd kind of debate these laws and debate these insights and understandings they had of the Torah, which is the Old Testament, the first five books of the New Testament, or f- first five books of the Old Testament, which is the Pentateuch. These are kind of the laws, and these, these religious leaders would debate these things out, and they would really try to... Um, get get clarity on what these meant and how to apply them. And so they're having this debate, this ongoing and old debate about what is really the greatest commandment? What's really the most important commandment of God? It's a pretty significant one for them because, again, the law was so central to their lives. I mean, they had identified 613 commandments in the first five books of Scripture. So 613 is how many they were, like, really aspiring. And they'd added a whole lot of layers to these, kind of given these underworks of each of these commandments. But uh, there were 365 negative commands and, and 248 positive commands, but there were a lot of commands. They were trying to follow all of them, right? And they're asking the question, what out of those 613 is the most important command? 
what's the most important command? And one of them is bright. He's smart. And he looks over. He knows Jesus is there. He, he basically, let's pick it up in the text. He says in uh, verse 28, he says, one of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? Then Jesus replies, right? This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one. Which, by the way, I mean, this guy has no, does he really understand what Jesus is doing? He's like firm, hey, Jesus, you're right. I mean, anyway, sorry. I, I can't pass over that so, so quickly. You have correctly said he is the one and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifice. And Jesus says, duh. And then when Jesus saw that he answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far away from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to question him any longer. Okay? So, you guys get the picture. Jesus is getting asked a very important and significant question. What is the greatest command? These guys are debating about it. The scribes are like, let's ask Jesus. Let's see what he says. And then Jesus, of course, answers him uh, in, a, in a very profound, Jesus-like way. I mean, a lot of times Jesus would answer a question with a question, and this time he gives them just an answer. Very direct, very specific, and it was something that they were not unfamiliar with. Because he tells them, uh, he quotes scripture to them. He quotes a scripture from the Old Testament. In fact, the most important passage, the most important scripture in the Old Testament for these people. The Shema. Some of you guys have probably heard that before. And it's this very important text where uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, they're told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength. Okay? And they, they knew this text because from the time they were very little, from the time they could talk, probably even before they could talk, they, already, they would recite this on a regular basis, actually daily. And it was all over their houses. Anybody put scripture in your house? You know, on your walls? When I was growing up, we had them everywhere. We had them, I mean, scriptures all over the place in my house. And I don't know, everybody was, has grown up like that, but my mom was just, I'm going to put it everywhere. You know, make sure it's in front of you all the time, right? We're going to the bathroom, and there it is on the wall, right? It's like everywhere we go, there's scripture. And they would have had this scripture everywhere because, in fact, in that same passage, he says, put it on your doorpost. Talk about it when you rise, when you lay down, when you're eating. Everywhere you go, talk about it, who God is. Talk about he is one and, and talk about that we should love him. And so Jesus is proclaiming something, again, that was not unfamiliar, and he gives them this response. And he says to them, I want you to, he, he says, to, to, to listen the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then, of course, in Jesus' fashion, he says, and the second is like it. So he gives them more than what they were actually asking. He doesn't just give them one. He gives them two. And we'll understand a little bit more about that here in a minute as to why. Because he says, love your neighbor as yourself and says, there is no other command greater than these. All right. Now, do you ever ask yourself this question? What does God want from me? Or maybe you ask God the question, God, what do you want from me? You ever ask that question? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? It actually is a question we should ask regularly. We should ask the question, God, what do you want from me? 
If it's never on your mind or never on your heart, um, I think it's probably a little concerning. If you're never asking God the question, uh, what do you want from me? Because I think if you are a child of God and the Holy Spirit's in you, then when we come to the Bible, we should read the Bible saying, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Now, it's not the only question we should ask. Because the question you should ask, another question that should come when you read the Bible or when you're praying is, God, who are you? What are you doing? Uh, how do you want me to interact with who you are and what you're doing? Like, the great thing about God is he knows we don't have it all figured out. So we don't have to come acting like we've got it all figured out. So we just need to ask more questions, right? We should just come to God with a more open heart, a more humble heart, a more teachable spirit. Well, one of the things we should ask, though, is, God, what do you want me to do? Now, a lot of us are scared of that question. And the reason we're scared of that question is because we don't trust God. If he's going he's to say something that we don't want him to say. Well, God, what will you do? Well, I want you to do, no, 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 I didn't mean that, God. Right? And so we pretty quickly put our defenses up, and we just stop asking that question. But today, I want to remind you and encourage you, you can trust your father's heart for you. If you're a child of God, you can trust your father's heart. And that if he tells you to do something hard, it's for your good. He knows you better than you know yourself. God is always working on us, right? He's always working on us and working in us. And I would much rather come with a heart that says, God, what do you want me to do? And, and, and submit to him in that. Then him have to say, well, you're not listening. So let me bring some discipline in your life so you will listen. Anybody been there? I've been there, okay? I would prefer the first option. I'm going to come, God. I'm going to open heart, open hand. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? And I want you to know today that in this passage, at the core, we understand what God wants us to do. You know what God wants from you and he wants from me? He wants us to love him. He wants us to love him. Now, I would dare say that most of us just want a few instructions, a few commands on how to just be moral people, good people, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But let me say to you that the Christian faith isn't just a list of do's and don'ts. Some people think that the Christian faith is just another religious system where you have a list of rules and you don't do these things and you do these things. Just like the Pharisees, you've got the 613 commands, the positives, the negatives, do these, don't do these, and everything will be great. But it's way more uh, enjoyable than that. I mean, we're talking about the law and we're like saying it's enjoyable. Because it is. In fact, the psalmist says that I delight in the law. Why? Because when your heart is for God, you want to do what he, he says. You want to do what he tells you to do, right? And you don't look at laws and rules as simple like restraints or restrictions to your happiness. You see them as, as pathways to greater joy, greater freedom, greater participation in God's work, greater opportunity to know the God who made you and who loves you. Are you still with me? Because ser seriously, seriously. We, we have really been robbed of joy in the kingdom of God by, by just simply making rules out to do these things that are, are sort of joy restraints. They're, they're barriers to our happiness, and that's, that's not what God wants for us. He actually wants us to experience true happiness, deep satisfaction, security, significance, worth in Christ. And so what does he want from us? He wants us to love him. He wants us to love him. It's not because... By the way, because some, some people say, well, what kind of God is it that, like, makes it all about him? It's a God who knows that he is good and the best thing for us is him. It's a God who is, who is awesome and who is gracious and who is merciful and who made us for himself, who knows us better than we know ourselves, right? And who knows that if we love him, that what we will find there is what we really need and what we actually really want, which is why... Men like John Piper, who have become very 
popular in our world today in terms of uh, explaining this idea of finding pleasure in God say things like God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. Because the Christian faith is enjoyable. It's not a train into uh, depression, right? It's a path into life. It's a path into true living, the abundant life Jesus came to bring, John 10. So, that being said, when it comes to God wanting us to love him, he says in this passage four times, he says, succinctly, God wants us to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Just a quick note, anytime you see repetition in scripture, there's a reason, okay? Anytime you see repetition in scripture, just like in the Old Testament, holy, 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 that was an emphasis on the, the, the holiness of God that was like saying it's infinitely holy. God is infinitely holy, right? And so I would say to you this morning, when you see all, 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 God's driving home a point. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. He doesn't want you just to love him half-hearted. He wants you to love him full-hearted, whole-hearted, right? I mean, listen to the words of Luke 9, 23 and 24. And I will tell you right now, sometimes we try to water down the gospel. We try to water down the Christian faith. We try to make it out to be something that it's not. And, and Jesus is very firm, even though he teaches a kingdom of God that is about grace. He also says that if we aren't people who are willing to give all, we're never going to experience the life that he has for us, right? Luke 9, 23 and 24, some of you probably know it. Then he said to them all, if anyone comes to me, does not deny himself, take up his cross daily, right, follow me, then he cannot be my disciple, right? For anyone who wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will save it. What is a man benefited if he gains the whole world yet loses or forfeits himself. So this text reminds us, even in a hard way in some ways, people say, wow, that's strong. That's too, that's, that's a, that bar's high. Yeah, but it's good. Because what you will discover is that that's actually true. That the more you lay down your life and the more you let go of your agenda and your self, selfish ambition, the more you will experience what it's like to walk with a God who loves you deeply and who has incredible plans for you and purposes for you. Not without pain or hardship or trial or struggle, but with true peace at the inner core of who you are. Because the life that you're looking for is not going to be found in things outside of Jesus. It's only going to be found in Jesus. All right? So, when he says love him with all your heart, what does he mean? He means with your emotions, right? That's the seat of the emotions, the the real me on the inside. He says he wants to love him with your emotions, your soul, speaking to the spirit of who we are, that self-conscious life like Psalm 42 talks about. The the mind speaks to our intelligent and our our thought life, that our our thinking should be in love with Jesus, that we should be thinking about him. Um, In fact, Romans 12 says that We should not follow the pattern of the world. We should be transformed by the renewing of our what? Our minds. That's right. Because we should love God with our minds. And he says our strength, our physical capacity, our bodily strength, perhaps even our will. And there's overlap in all four of these because the goal really isn't to try to say, well, love him with this one and not this one or love him with this one and not this one. He's saying, like, it's a holistic process. All of you. All, 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 right? He wants us to love him. Him with all of ourselves. 
Sinclair Ferguson, who's a pastor and theologian, he says, God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life for the whole duration of our lives. Let me say that again. God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life for the whole duration of our lives. That's what God wants. He wants us. There's a little, uh, a little, uh, I don't know what you would call it, tool. Uh, it's, it's, uh, I'm kind of blank on the word, but we use a, a little way to, to remind our kids at Christmas time what Christmas is about. And it's called What God Wants for Christmas. Anybody seen that before? And it's a simple little uh, exercise you do with your kids, and they provide the little boxes. And there's these boxes that you go through, and it goes through the Christmas story, and you read a section, and you open a box, and inside of the box, it's like there's the donkey, and then there's the, uh, there's, there's the, the, the money, and, and there's Joseph, and then there's Mary, and then there's baby Jesus. And then the last box you open, the whole time it keeps building up to this point. It says, what God wants for Christmas is for you a surprise in box number seven or whatever it's revealed. I don't know. It's disguised. Okay. And then you get to the last one. I should know this because I've only done it for like 14 years. But um, it's very impactful to me. Um, <laughs> and you get to the last one and the last box, which the kids already know because they've done it before. But they know. And you open the last box and you look in it. it you know what's in there? It's a mirror. And you're looking at your reflection. And it says, what God wants for Christmas is you. And as we think about what God wants from us, he wants us. He purchased us, actually. Did you know that? He wants us so badly that he actually gave his life so that we could become his. Not just adherents to a religion. Not just good congregational goers to church but actually people who belong to him. First Peter says that, that we are his possession. And not just any possession, but a prized possession. Like, if you don't think you're important or significant, then you don't understand the cross. If you don't think that you are loved today, then you do not understand what Jesus has done for you. And let me say it again. Jesus died for you. And he died for me. To pursue us. Yes, salvation is a free gift, but it is not an inexpensive or cheap gift. It's a sacrificially expensive gift to Jesus Christ. And that's why giving our whole life to, to Jesus makes sense. Sam Storms, just to be real practical, I think this is helpful. Sam Storms said, how do you know if you're actually loving God with your whole self, okay? Now, if it, and some of you may not know who Sam Storms is. Others of you do. Um, He's very thorough. He's in some ways like a seminary professor preaching sermons on Sundays in his church in Oklahoma City. But he gives some very practical help around this. He says, like, if I was thinking about this, how would I know if I really loved God with my whole self? Now, maybe you want to take a picture of this. Maybe we can send it out. But I'm going to put these, these questions on there. Is the Lord the all-consuming passion of my life? Is my passion aimed at him and his purposes? Or am I giving my passion to other things? Do I have a deep, intense, and abiding affection for the Lord? Like, could I genuinely say, like, I love God. I love Him. It just, just part of who I am. It just flows out of me. Am I loyal to my God with an exclusive love? You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but Scripture, it paints this picture that when we pursue the world and worldliness and idols, it's like adultery. Do I resist? and even oppose anything or anyone that seeks to do my Lord harm. 
wow, now this one's, <laughs> this is tough in this culture, right? Do we really want to defend the faith knowing the criticisms that will kind of come? Am I zealous to, with grace, defend my Lord's name and honor? Do I enjoy spending time with God? Do we actually, like, <clears throat> it's a time of year where we kind of, like, sort of go, we're going to do this, right? We're going to be better Christians this year. We're going to read our Bibles. We're going to pray. We're going to be awesome for Jesus. And then, like, January 12th comes around, and it's like our Bible reading plan's like, done, right? And we shelve it until next January. Now, I, I don't mean that in any mean, ill way. I'm just saying, like, listen, I said it already. I hope that you find joy in Jesus, joy and delight in God. Yes, there's discipline involved. But the more that I walk with the Lord, the more that I understand who he is and even who I am because of him, the more enjoyable it is to spend time in prayer in the word. It's not like a have to, but you get to. Do I enjoy spending time with my Lord? Do I do, I do things that please my Lord and increase his joy? Do I, do I live to please God? Do I want, to, want him to actually look and, and, and smile and say, man, that's exactly what I'm wanting you to do. That's exactly what, what I wanted you to live for. Do I brag on Jesus? Do I brag on my Lord to others? Do I tell the Jesus that I love him? Like, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus, or is he just still a distant figure in your life? Do you actually tell him you love him? Do you talk with him as much as you can? Now, again, this is a good bridge for your marriage, married people. <laughs> but in our relationship with God, these are some things that we can go, wow, like, how do we know that we actually are loving God with our whole life? Now, I've already said this a couple different ways a couple of different times, but I want to say it one more time. It's important to note and to guard us against a works-based thing, a works-based trying to earn our way or to make a way to better ourselves, maybe even for the sake of ourselves, even though we mask it with different language. Uh, we don't love God to get him to love us. Can I say that again? We don't love God to, in order to get God to love us. We love God because he does already love us. And that's important, okay? Really, really important. God loves us, and therefore we love him. In fact, 1 John 4.10 says it this way. Love consists in this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He took the anger and the wrath of God upon himself because of he loved us. He didn't just say, I love you. He actually acted, right? And true love requires action. And he did that for us. Now, i got to move on for sake, of, for sake of time, but he doesn't just say that loving God is the most important command. He says what? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen, love for God will always result in love for people. True love for God will also produce a horizontal effect. If I'm loving God here then love for people is an overflow of that. It's an, it's an outflow. It's, it's natural. You can't say that you love God and then not love people. In fact, 1 John 4, 7, and 8, it's on the screen above me, I believe, says this, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if we love God, if we genuinely are loving him with our whole life, all of us, then, again, people around us will know it because we'll be loving them. 
you'll see that in our life. Are you struggling to love people? You might need to start here. How's this going? Are you struggling to love your, your spouse? Are you struggling to love your kids? Are you struggling to love your friends? Are you struggle, struggling to love your coworkers, your neighbors? And by the way, you guys know this, but Jesus doesn't let us off the hook from our enemies. <laughs> Some of you were with us when we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. One of the most crazy, intense things he says is, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless those who say evil things against you. How in the world do you do that? Well, you don't start by rationalizing whether they're worthy of your love. Because you'll never get there. They're never going to be worthy because you're never worthy either. In our humanness. But it starts here with God. And as we understand God's love, as we understand what he has done, as we begin to love him, like, this will happen. When you obey the second command he gives, it will give evidence that you've embraced the first one. When we say we love God, the indicator, the proof that's in the pudding is that we actually are loving towards other people. Now, again, one thing I can't do today is I can't go through all that that means and that entails because there is definitely a problem with the definition of love in the culture in which we live. We've kind of defined it in ways that make sense to us, that are comfortable for us, and that are maybe um, avoiding hard parts of love. But I would simply say to you this morning that we ought to be known as a people of love. In fact, he says in another passage that we will be known as Jesus' disciples as we love one another. But that's one of the primary indicators to the world around us, who's not believers in Jesus, that we actually are, are true disciples of Jesus, is our love for one another. Tim Keller says this, he says, Jesus shows us that love actually defines the lawful life. And he shows us that the law actually defines the loving life. When Jesus says all the law boils down to love God and neighbor, he's saying we have not fulfilled a law simply by avoiding what the law prohibits, but we must also do and be what the law is really after. And what is it really after? Love. You understand, do I understand this morning, that what God wants from us is not just duty, obedience from yes, sir, but a heart that's stirred for him that says, I want to obey you because you're so good. You love me, and I want to love you back. Love. So we should love people as ourselves. And that sounds kind of weird because maybe if you've been around church for a while, you're like, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to love myself. That sounds really like, you know, I don't know, odd that you like, you're saying you love yourself? Like, well, understand this. He's not saying worship yourself. He's not saying that you become the end-all, be-all, that everything terminates on you, and it's all about your glory, right? It's not all about you, and it's not all about me. What he is saying, though, is that when you understand God's love for you, you don't hate yourself, right? That actually, it's offensive to God to hate yourself, because he purchased you. He made you. He loves you. And so we're just saying we understand who we are. We are valuing who we are. And, and obviously because of that, we physically take care of our needs. And obviously because we, uh, we, we know that we're God's children and we have purpose and we have meaning, like we do stuff to make sure that like we're taking care of ourselves. Even growing spiritually. There's a, there's a self-love that's there. And he says, 
love your neighbor as yourself. Again, that word neighbor is open to anyone you're in close proximity to. And in fact, in different passages when he says, love your neighbor as yourself, one of the leaders is like, well, who's my neighbor? You guys know what Jesus did there? He then told the story of the Good Samaritan. Who's anybody you come across? Any human being is your neighbor. Don't try to make it only a certain group that, that they like you or they're like you. But it's everybody. And he says, love your neighbor yourself. So think of it this way. Maybe you, you, you have already. What are the things that I need? What are the things that I would hope other people would do for me? What are the ways that I would want other people to treat me? And then do those things for others. Because if we love them as we love ourselves, then we would take care of them like we take care of ourselves. We would meet their needs like we would hope others would meet our needs. And we love them well. I mean, that's the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We would love people the way that we want to be loved. But I want to be more practical this morning even than that for just a second because there is a reason why we have the whole of Scripture, and I know a lot of us want to quickly dismiss the Old Testament, but the, dis- the Old Testament is actually very practical and very helpful. In fact, there's a book in there, uh, several books, especially in those first five books, that are a little hard to get through. For those of you that are on your Bible reading plan, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a, a warning. You're going to get to uh, Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and you're going to be like, I'm done. Okay? Press on. It gets better. All right? But in Leviticus chapter 19, this is just one place. If you, if you want some instruction, practical instruction on what it means to love somebody, to love people, to love your neighbor as yourself, like Jesus says, Don Carson from Luke, from Leviticus chapter 19 says this. There you discover that loving your neighbor as yourself means a whole lot. It means that you will care for the poor. It means you will not steal. It means you will not lie. You will be fair in business dealings. You will care for the deaf. You will care for the blind. You will deal justly with all. You will avoid slander. You will not jeopardize the life of your neighbor. You will not hate your brother in your heart. You will not rebuke your neighbor when necessary. Or sorry, you will rebuke your neighbor when necessary for his good and your good. (laughs) I like that one. that, That actually it's loving to rebuke them. Okay. You will not take revenge or bear a grudge against others. I mean, that's just a few things that are there in the Old Testament. Like, we as people, sometimes we need it spelled out. It's like, well, what does it mean to love people? What? It's like Porky asks a question. Anybody seen that yet? Okay, if you want to lose an afternoon to something that's very minor. Anyway, um, because we had to drive so far in the car, I had to listen to my kids listen to this, okay? And then they regurgitate. Um what, what, what does it mean to love people? What does it mean to love people? Well, these are just some of the things. But I don't think, ish, honestly, I don't think, generally speaking, that we have a problem with knowing what it means. I think we just have a, an unwilling heart. Because it's sacrificial, isn't it? it? It's selfless. It's painful. But as we close out our time this morning, I want to remind you that this great commandment passage that really centers us, it reminds us, Uh, what our lives are all about, that we are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. I I want to reiterate the point that, listen, none of us in this room are going to do that perfectly. There's parts of us that we are still withholding in many ways and in many times. But thankfully, we have a God who goes first. 
We have a God who goes first. He takes the initiative. You know what the scripture says to us? It says that while we were his enemy, Christ died for us. That while we were in sin, that's open rebellion, open rejection of his rule, his reign. Maybe even, as Romans 1 says, denying that he's even the creator and worshiping the created stuff instead of the the one who made it all. It says that in spite of that, while we were these enemies, while we were under his wrath, as objects of wrath, and, and deservedly so, maybe that's a whole conversation that you're like, I don't know if I could go there. God made us, we rebelled, we deserved punishment. That's, that's what the Bible teaches us. But know this, that while we were in that state, Christ died for us. He laid down his life for us. So today, we have a God who goes first, who says, again, I'm not just asking you to love all of me, but I love all of you. I love you, and I'm pursuing you, and actually I'm giving all of me to pursue all of you. And he invites us to know him. He invites us not just to know him, but to be indwelled by him, to be filled by him, to actually have a a new nature, to be made new people. This is how God will be glorified through our lives. When we become people who are his children, who love the way he loves. Like, that's the bullseye for our life. To love him and to love people. That's the bullseye. And if you make things other than that the bullseye, I think we all know that it will not lead to blessing, but it will lead to hardship. It'll lead to disillusionment. In fact, if you make religion your bullseye, being good, being moral, you will find pretty fast it's an empty road. It's a shallow and empty, destructive even, pathway. This morning, I want to remind you, the kingdom of God is not about hard duty, it's about heart devotion. The kingdom of God is not about religion, it's about relationship, right? And that's what we discover that when the most important commandment, like what is the most important, what is the most important commandment, Jesus? To love God and love people. Our God's a relational God. You want to know what we celebrate today? Why, why we're here? Why, why we care? Our God cares. Our God loves God is good. I, I hope that you know you can trust him with all of your life. And it would be silly for us to talk about the vision, the direction, and the strategy of our church if you don't even know that there's a God who made you and who loves you and has a purpose and a plan for you that you get to individually first receive but also then collectively participate in knowing him and and making him known. And so this morning, it's a new year. It's a new day. You want to be a new you? If that's where you are, then you can receive from Christ what he has offered to you freely but at great cost to him. You can receive eternal life. You can receive resurrected life. You can receive abundant life. How do you want to word that? You can receive salvation. Because he's gracious and he's good and he's merciful, okay? But know this, 
that when you choose to follow Jesus, you're not just saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to add you to my plate. All right, Jesus, I got a pretty good life over here, but I want to make sure I know where I'm going to go when I die. Okay, Jesus, like, life's pretty good here in America. I mean, got a pretty nice house, pretty nice cars, nice clothes, good job, pretty good family. But, you know, like, it'd be good to kind of have this Jesus thing figured out, too, kind of like add this. No, like, Jesus was everything. All of it submitted and surrendered to him. And you can trust him with it, okay? I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you so much that we were punk rebels. And we can still move that way. I mean, naturally in our flesh, that old man comes back and we can, we can just be really rude and arrogant and disrespectful to you, God. But I thank you that you graciously keep calling us back to yourself. I thank you that you are so lovingly pursuing us, even in discipline, that by your spirit, you're, you're calling us to align with your heart and to love you with all of our mind and our soul and our strength. Thank you, God, that you're, you're growing us. And thank you that every day, as the scripture says, your mercies are new. That we, we, we screw up, we blow it, we don't live for you, we live for self, and yet your word says that we can confess, we can ag- admit, we can agree with you, and then we can repent, we can turn, and we can start to walk new ways in, in alignment with your heart. We can do that by the power of your spirit in us. We can recognize who we truly are, we can remember that we are your sons and daughters, and we can begin to be people of love again. So I pray that today... That as we think about loving you, that we would value you, God, with our time, with our money, with our energy. We would value you. We would invest ourselves in the things of you, knowing you and making you known. I pray that we would be a people of love, people who love one another well. God, help us today. We need your help. We can't do that on our own. We pray this in your name. Amen.